0: I would have loved to have been like a teenager in the eighties, and then like be, and then in the nineties be in my twenties. Like that would have been so freaking cool. I probably would have been like a club kid in the eighties with like Jane hey, Saint James, the, the original. Hair, and- yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, then you done him just like me, which is cynical and pissed off at everybody.
0: That's Ooh. pretty much how I am anyway.
1: <laughs> hey guys, welcome hello,
0: back. Hello.
1: This is episode number two in season six. And yes, this is a recording. We had some scheduling conflicts, so we can't do season two live, but we still want to bring you an episode on the day that you would expect it. So this is a recording. And if you notice, we have one person missing. She's dealing with, um, how do we put this? Mundane fun things. Yes. Yes super fun mundane things (laughs) and we say fun with a heck of a lot of sarcasm i'm sure she'll tell you all about it when she gets back but so today we are doing our seasonal episode on talking about people across witchcraft and just the occult in general in history i think this is our third episode where we've done that this is our sixth episode haven't we no, we haven't done one every season. So no uh, it's five.
2: Because we started reality it shifting
1: two. again, honey. What the hell? So yeah, all of that. I'm gonna cut all of that out because that's really awkward. <laughs> <laughs> we can't remember shit. <laughs> so with that, who wants to start? I guess I'll start with mine
2: since mine doesn't like intertwine. We've got to stand out. Well, yeah, of course I always do. That's me. <laughs> so, I don't know. I know a lot of people that I know knows this artist. Um, he's a te- Well, he was because he passed away mm, not too long ago. Um, but H- H- H.R. Geiger um, is probably one of the least people you would, well, not least, people that you would know that was into occultism. But he really was into that like he, i guess he started from what i've read and what i know he had started following crowley for a little while and he got really into crowley's concepts and stuff mm-hmm. but i guess once he started reading the books himself he couldn't follow it like he could not follow or understand the structure but he was still very into occultism. Like, Uh he drew and painted Crowley um, and other people in that circle. Um, And he used his artwork to, I guess he used to have really bad nightmares, and he would channel it into his artwork and into his occult beliefs because he was very into paranormal also. Lots of, you know, channeling, necromancy, all that stuff. Like, Geiger was really into it, but once you when you met him and saw him, you wouldn't really know it because he wouldn't speak about
1: it. Oh, and, you know, you can were... I can I interject for a second? Because, and I think I've made this statement before, one of us has, but I just get I don't know I get goosebumps every time we talk about these people because I don't know if everybody notices. You know, a lot of people um, that are uh, occultists on whatever level. They're very, very creative in nature. So a Absolutely. lot of artists, a lot of writers, a lot of even scientists and philosophers. yes, yeah. yeah. so I, I just because wanted to say that. Sorry. The
2: most famous thing H. R. Geiger is famous for is the alien from Aliens, the movie. Right. Like yeah. he's
1: the one who created which is hilarious that. because like his stuff is amazing, and I mean it's still, cr- yeah. it's still awesome, but like that is kind of funny that that's what he's known for. Yeah. Well, because I mean. If you don't know his actual art,
2: art, you say aliens. That is that is his design. That is where they yeah. pulled from is because of his alien painting, because he was very into, you know, UFOs and all that too. So, but he's from Sweden. He was born in like the 1940s, so he was around the time of everybody with Crowley and Gardner and all that.
1: But he was mostly a Crowley. Follower
2: for a little while, and then he was like, mm, no,
1: yeah. I think a lot of people are like that. I think a lot of people are like, oh, Crowley, huh? Oh, Crowley, hmm, yeah. Because, uh, that's the reading... usual reaction when it comes to him, like, oh, yeah. Because I was, reading, oh. an like, mm.
2: yeah, I was reading, reading an interview, and he was taught, like, in the interview, he was talking about how the interview I was reading, he, they were asking him about his affiliation with Crowley because somebody. Wait, I guess back in the eighties or something, because of his artwork, assumed he was part of the satanic church or temple and he had to go on a whole no, that's not me, I don't like stuff like that and all that. So he was reading it. I was reading it and he was talking about how he was very into Crowley's concepts and stuff when he would hear his lectures. But when he read his books, he's like, I couldn't follow anything, I can't I don't understand the structure or the thought process between it, like it made no sense to him. Hmm. So I, I, can, I can see that. One of my favorite artists, that's for sure. I think he, Guy, first, I think things have been in my life
1: for a long time. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. He's just fantastic.
1: He's definitely I've been a some. favorite of mine since I was probably, yeah, a teen. Yeah. How could he not be? Right. Right. Yeah, like because right?
2: like, it's very techno industrial yet dark. Yes, and, mm-hmm. yes. Like it's just especially the my favorite one is the
1: one where it's the gun and the people are the bullets. And uh, yes. that's hilarious <laughs> that you say that because every time I look at his stuff, and that's I think that's originally what drew to me to him back in like the late '80s, early '90s. Um was because it's like when I looked at him I would immediately just think of like industrial music like his yes. his art is literally <clears throat> the visual representation of industrial goth
2: yeah and how many people have actually like they've used his artwork for their albums and their videos and stuff I mean look what he did for alien like I don't think yeah. if he didn't use like if they didn't use that Picture. I don't think mm-hmm. the movie would have been the way it was.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. That like was that. Yeah.
2: That, that is a terrible creature. Fear in everybody. <laughs> this one I had to put on there because, first of all, anybody who knows me knows this is my favorite band of all time. Um, so I put the singer to Godsmack, um, Sully Erna, because he, as soon as became famous openly came out saying that he was a witch and made everybody else feel comfortable and why some of the music is the way it is and why he writes it.
0: Yes. Because he came
2: out talking huh. about, he also came out talking about it because it helped him because he had an addiction problem and he it was one of the things that saved him from his addiction. You know, so he's openly, he doesn't, actually identify as, like, Wiccan, but he kind of follows it because he does hang out with Lori Cabot, my last person from the last session, because... Lori um,
0: Cal... Lori Calbrit Cal... Calbit, I can't pronounce her last name for the same life. but, like, but, like, yeah, but, but, like, yeah, like I, I think, like, like, she may be a witch and a Wiccan. Just, yeah, she's both. But,
1: so... Well, but Yeah. Like, I think she does claim to be Wiccan, doesn't she?
0: Yeah. Yeah, she does, yeah, but, yeah, but it's old but I, school... Yeah, but like from what I've heard, like she's actually pretty secular with it. Like she recognizes Wicca as her religion, but witchcraft is her practice.
2: Yes. Good. Yeah, so I mean, most of you saw her if you remember back in the day, music videos, when we had music videos, she was in the Godsmack video, uh, Voodoo.
0: Voodoo. Yeah.
2: Yeah, she's a priestess in there, but you know, so... That's my
0: Voodoo. I, I was listening to that song this morning. That's so ironic that you bring that up. Yeah, well, I think so, I... <laughs> yeah,
2: so everybody knows it's my favorite band. And like, you know, the fact that he's an open person, not mm-hmm. hiding it or showing off. Like he'll just say, Yeah, that's it. And I actually don't think he ever brought it up again. And no mm-hmm. one ever brought it up because, you know, he's not flaunting it and
1: posting it everywhere.
2: Right. Yeah, exactly.
1: exactly. So, so I that's a really good point too, because, um, I think that, you know, people who are really authentic, um, they, they're not ashamed of what they do, but at the same time, they don't, they don't feel like they have to advertise it and put it out there. It's like, it's just yeah. another part of you. It's, it's just who you are. You know, I don't need to constantly be in your face and show you little Instagram posts of look, I lit a candle.
2: Yeah, no, because, like, I know, like, some of the topics of the music and stuff, like, the way things that were written, I know when they first came out, it was a big, like, well, what's your inspiration for this and that, you know? So, like, that's why it got brought up. Yeah. And, like, I know they asked the other people in the band if it bothered them, and they were, like, why should it bother me? Right. (laughs) Especially when they all grew up together and shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So...
1: I love that. I think that's a that's a great story because it's not just his story, but also the way that his, you know, let's face it, his second family practically are yeah. embracing of like, who cares? Yeah, why should it bother us?
2: Yeah, I, I mean,
1: they've been around over, over 20 years now,
2: you know? Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Because, <laughs> you know, I've been listening to them since they were underground before they became famous back in... 1998 <laughs> <laughs> so you know i am i really am <laughs> but yeah like it's the, i think that's the thing that made it interesting is because it's not publicized like flaunted out
1: so the first one that i want to speak about is austin Osman spare and i i You're going to be surprised. I actually don't have very much to talk about. And that's because I've actually talked about him quite a bit. And one of the reasons why I want to talk about him is because I've obviously talked about him quite a bit in um, the Chaos Magic series. And so I'm not going to, you know, just repeat some of the things that I said. But that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about him. Because I am currently doing a series on Chaos Magic. and, um, And so he's very apropos. So he actually was born in the late 1800s, 1880s or so. And like Geiger and many other people, he was actually a famous artist, a famous artist in England more specifically, but also an occultist, a practicing magician. Austin Osmond Spare is... To many considered, for lack of a better word, the grandfather of chaos magic, not the father of chaos magic, the grandfather, because a lot of his work was used as a foundation by later founders of chaos magic into the concepts of that practice. So especially like his iconoclastic views, his aversion to morals. Um, and then, obviously, everybody probably mostly knows him for his information on sigil, sigilization, sigil formations of those techniques. Um, that's th- those those three things or two things you can say were um, probably what is a, a large foundational aspect of chaos magic. Austin Osman Spare, like many occultists that you'll hear us talk about, and that you've heard our, us talk about. Um, had an affiliation with Crowley, he actually. But the interesting thing is, he actually was. I guess um, when when you in, or look to initiate, you're you're known as a probationer. Um, so he became a probationer of Crowley's Order, Argentium Astrum, in um, the early 1900s, like 1908 or 1909. Um, but he never was initiated as a member. And Crowley later was um, recorded as saying that he sees Spare as a, quote unquote, Black brother, um, which was not a nice thing to say. And it has nothing to do with color or race. Basically, that was his way of saying that he didn't approve of Spare's magical philosophies, which is obviously why Spare broke off of Crowley very quickly on. Um, But... You may or may not be familiar with his writings. Um, he wrote the Book of Pleasure, The Focus of Life, um, and then of course he wrote the manuscript of the Logomachia of Zos and the Zoetic Grimoire of Zos. And the sad thing is his, his last writing he never got to finish. It remained uncompleted when he died in 1956. So um, it's a shame you know, I, I, a lot of people are very inspired by his, his writings. He is also a, a brilliant artist, had a, a beautiful paintings. I don't want to downplay, you know, these people that we talk about that are also scientists and, and art, artists and stuff. Even though our main goal is to talk about their influence in, the, in, in occultism, you know, I don't want to downplay, you know, their, their uh, accomplishments as, as, uh, in their fields. In their professional field, exactly. Because,
2: like you were saying, many of them were amazing artists and yes, great scientists and doctors. So, absolutely, their accomplishments Mm -hmm. outside of the magical practice is beyond amazing.
1: And how amazing when you can be both accomplished in your profession and 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 accomplished in the occultist world? You know that just shows shows the brilliance, the the ultimate brilliance to. And you know, dedication to both. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. These people that we talk about, you know, these are not just people that were a scientist and dabbled, you know, or an artist no. and dabbled. These people that you mm. know were, uh, th- you know, this was their life. This this was who they were. So. Exactly. So the next person that I want to talk to about it does have a relation to Austin Osman Spare, and that is Ray Sherwin. So Ray Sherwin, along with Peter J. Carroll, those two are credited with being the fathers of chaos magic. And Ray Sherman especially was highly influenced by Austin Osmond Spare. And so basically, he took Austin Osman Spare's concept And he, I guess you could say, more formalized it into what's known today as chaos magic. So he was born in the 1950s. And he is, of course, an occultist, also from the UK. uh, And he is an accomplished author and a publisher. He actually ran his own publishing company. And so a lot of the um, occult works and writings back in his time um, actually went through his publication company, so it was a it was a platform for occultists. That's smart. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, the the book that he initially published in 1978, known as the Book of Results, which some of you may be familiar, that book, along with Liber Null, from Peter J. Carroll, that's in essence what started the whole chaos magic movement. And then in the early 80s, he came out with another book called Theater of Magic, and then he ended up forming um, a small group called Circle of Chaos. And that was um, they. and then he actually created a publication known as chaos international in 1986 and he f- held the first chaos symposium in Leeds in 1987 that was obviously run and chaired by him so no. he was he was a a, a very um, active pro, proactive
2: he was very uh, hands on uh,
1: magician yeah absolutely and especially in the field of chaos magic so I think um, one, of the, one of the most uh, popular things that he's credited for is he contributed to the formination, for, uh, formination, formination, what the fuck? Formation? To the formation. Thank mm-hmm. you. I don't know why I added an extra syllable. <laughs> of the IOT, which is the Illuminates of Sanitaros. So um, so that group, so Thanateros is actually a Greek word that means death and love combined. Hmm. And Sherwin actually says, um, Ray Sherwin and I took this quote down because I thought, I thought this was really interesting. Um, says the most powerful gnosis, and yes, Ray Sherwin really expanded on the concept of gnosis in chaos magic, but the most powerful gnosis Are those directly connected with the survival instinct of these. The fear of death and the liberation from that fear are the easiest to impose. This is why our order is called the Illuminates of Thanateros. So that's where that name came from, um, from his strong belief in the power of achieving Gnosis.
0: Mm. I I like that.
1: Yeah. Now, it's also interesting um, because he actually, in one of his books, and I don't know, I don't know if it was in one of his books or one of his publications, because, again, as I mentioned, he, he published um, articles and, and magazines and stuff as well. But he, he actually gives a warning to those who are interested in practicing chaos magic. He says, your morals and ethics are your own problem. It's for you to sort out what you believe to be good or evil, if indeed you're concerned with such oversimplifications at all. And I freaking love that because that is is another, you know, mainstay of chaos magic is, you know, release your morals. And I think a lot of people get that um, confused and automatically assume that that means anarchy. And that's not what that means. You know, morals are, um, as Ray Sherman and, and other writers describe, you know, those are, are formed by your cultural influences, by your religious influences, they're personal and they're individual. And so in other words, they're not concrete and they're not universal. No. So in order to progress and to grow spiritually and accomplish your magical feats, you have to learn how to let go of those morals. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a um that's a stra- that's a very difficult concept for a lot of people, and so I find it interesting that he he decided to consider that a quote unquote warning because in some ways it is a warning because it's like if this is what you're interested in, this is what you're going to embark on and understand that this is going to be a limitation for you if you choose to st- if you choose to um allow yourself to be constrained by your morals so mm-hmm. so that is ray sherwin so <laughs> the last person that i want to talk about um is going to be a little bit lengthy because um there's quite a bit to talk about with her and it's going to i think tie in really well with what jason is going to talk about and that is miss doreen valiente we going there we are going there. And, 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 you know, and, and I, Doreen Valiente is somebody that I, uh, I said um, off camera, I was, I was telling the folks that I have a, a, a love hate relationship with, with certain people in terms of how they influenced me coming into, into the practice. But Doreen Valiente, although she was not an influence one way or another, she is another person that I have, Uh, mixed feelings about and a love-hate relationship about because there's a lot of things about her that I actually respect greatly and then there's other things about her that I'm like really 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 Doreen you had to go there but right so Doreen um, was born in 1922 and she died in 1999 so she is yes children she is still relevant. (laughs) 1999 wasn't that long ago. I know some of you were born around that time. Um, She (laughs) began her practice as a teenager, and she's also an accomplished poet and an author. So it's interesting because many people consider her, again, I'm going to put in quotes, the mother of modern witchcraft, or at the very least, the mother of Wicca. But here's the here's the interesting thing is that when you look at even her own writing so she wrote a book called rebirth of witchcraft and she discusses in there how gardner and her and a few other friends um really uh created kind of the 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 newer movement and thought process um and uh and and so credited herself to a lot of that but at the same time Um, At the same time, believe it or I I mean, according to that book, it says that Gardner and her didn't actually coin that movement Wicca. That term was actually used later. I don't know if any of you guys knew that. I did not know that. So they actually technically did not call themselves Wiccan. It was other people that started to apply that name. And then I think she ultimately adopted it. Adopted it, so I thought that was mm. kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, like uh, wasn't it more towards like British traditional Wicca?
1: Kind of, kind, yeah, pr- pretty much. But I think what I found the mo- most interesting about her, uh, and uh, and I've known this for a while, but I obviously continued to to delve in f- for this episode. But what I've always loved about learning about her was learning about her relationship with Gardner because. That relationship was very complicated. (laughs) And and I think people, when they automatically think of Doreen Meliente, they think of like the right hand gal uh, of Gardner. But Gardner and and her actually often did not see eye to eye. Now they butted Mm. heads a lot. They butted heads a lot. Like she fueled Um, a lot of his think of that. She, um, she had her own interpretation, which Gardner often did not agree with. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> but in 1953, um, she was initiated as a priestess into one of Gardner's covens. She ended up rewriting most of his early ritual material. And again, Gardner was like iffy about that because he didn't agree mm. with it. But at the same time, he also felt like that's what the movement needed. Mm-hmm. So he kept it, um, but she ended up later leaving his coven and actually brought a bunch of his members with her and started her own coven. She she actually, you know, as we were talking uh, offline, you know, she actually coven hopped for lack of, yeah. fact, of a better word. Mm -hmm. But um, but that was but the reason why I say that and bring that up specifically is because obviously that created even more friction between her and Gardner because she didn't just walk away from him. She basically like took everybody with Mm -hmm. her. Uh, And according to her biography and her books, it was because her and the people that left with her, they felt that um, that Gardner was kind of getting a little bit too much in his head. You know and mm-hmm. his head was getting big, big big he was talking to like every british tabloid possible right and he was and so they were just disapp- they weren't really approving of like how open he was giving out their secrets and everything and then on top of that apparently he was doing the typical old guy thing which is he started initiating about a bunch of young young pretty girls who didn't really have any experience and stuff and right. they're like Nah, i don't think so so Doreen actually identified in Gardner's writings that there were a lot of Crowley's words and part of his works as well as Rudyard Kipling in his writings. And she called, she called him out on it and he denied it left and right and left and right. And finally, finally um, he owns up to it and, and according to her biography, she says that he got so annoyed, he threw the book at her and said, Can you do any better? And so she did. She took it and she rewrote the stuff and embellished and added a lot of the poetry and the and the couplet, the rhyming couplets that we see today. A lot of that was her. And she took out what she coined to be turned as Crowleanity. And so she she actually so a lot of the writing, even though it may be credited to um, Gardner, a good portion of it is actually Doreen's. So I'm um,
2: girl to do better. She will. I'll show <laughs> yeah, up these exactly. Times ten.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't don't, don't challenge somebody like that because they will. <laughs> but um. So it's uh, So yeah. So. Really, that you know, their, their whole lives, their, their relationship had been strained, you know, on and off. Like they, they didn't talk to each other for a couple of years, then they got reacquainted. But uh, so they they, they had a, a, a strained relationship. But when all was, all, all was said and done, she was, you know, till the end, really a, um, a supporter of him. They had their differences, but he but she really did respect him and had a, a strong and was very supportive. Frenemies. I mean, I have a lot of personal opinions, and I, I'm hesitant to say that because this is nowhere written. This was this is just my own personal opinion. Um, but I, I, you know, sometimes I feel like um, it might be more of what you're saying, Mountain Gypsy, a frenemy thing. It's like she understood the overall importance. She saw the the, the longer game, if you will, right. And realized realize, you know, what this could do for the pagan community. Um, but I do think that there's still was you know a, a level of respect there that she always had. She actually ended up um, later in her life establishing an organization that initially was called the Pagan Front and later transformed into the Pagan Federation. And the goal of this group is to fight prejudice against pagans um, by the media, by society in general. You know, if, I've talked about this before. You know, she did a lot of lobbying. For um, for just paganism and for occult uh, occultism in general, um, she was a primary driver in changing some of the laws against witchcraft, in particular, especially in the UK. She ended up um, in the '80s doing deciding to to do a bunch of research into the roots of the modern. Practice, you know, of what they had established, and so she was able to find some things that actually did um, uphold and back back up what Gardner said, and and some other things, you know, that that she helped to clarify. So I, I thought that was that was also very interesting about her, and um, she did ultimately pass, like I said, in in 1999. When she died, the Doreen Valiente Foundation was established and they collect and maintain a collection of artifacts, books, letters, photographs, documents from hers and other collections um, to you know, continue to document the path of modern paganism. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, you, you see what I mean I- though? By like a <clears throat> kind of a, a, a love hate thing. It's like I, yes. I respect her and I, I respect the fact that she called him out and was just like, dude, stop lying. This is not your shit. This is Crowley shit. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, and then she one upped him, so it's all good.
2: Yeah.
0: Right? <laughs> Alrighty. So, first person I'm going to talk about is Miss Gerald Gardner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Gerald Gardner, where to start? Did so- you say Miss? Yes,
1: <laughs> uh, well,
0: he, he, he was a mister, but, <laughs> but yeah, so Gerald Gardner, um, he is known as the godfather or even the father of modern witchcraft based on uh, his establishment with, or his foothold within the church of Wicca, having started the Gardenian tradition of Wicca. He Um, says
1: that with a straight face every time. I I, I can't get past that. (laughs) Every time I hear that, I just want to (laughs) laugh.
0: The Church of Wicca. (laughs) So yeah, so he he started the uh, Gardenian branch of the Church of Wicca. He kind of got into the practice um, with uh, his obsession with uh, Blavatsky's uh, witch cult or the history of the European witch cult from Blavatsky. If I'm saying her name right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and he was really, um, a lot of his, his teachings were just very, very fantastical, very, very out there. Like, uh, for example, um, uh, when he would go on to talk about the witch trials or the witch hysteria, he would say that there was around 9 million people killed. That number is completely out there, and it was actually later to be found that what he did was he actually took the number of victims from the Holocaust, which was six million, and he just flipped it around to make it nine million.
1: Because that makes so much sense,
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he he uh, did find um, he was the founder of the Black Forest Coven, uh, which actually had a really great standing. Um, I think he was actually born in Lancaster, England. Um, And that's where he returned home and it actually had a really, really great fellowship. Uh, One of his uh, biggest initiates, um, High Priestess, was Dorian Valiente. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, like like Bella was saying, they actually did have a very strong following together. Um, But towards the end, like she actually kind of thought that he was a charlatan, you know, he wanted all of this media attention. Um, He really did like uh, propaganda the religion. Mm -hmm. Um, He was uh, good friends with uh, someone who I personally admire, Cecil Williamson. They actually started a museum together on the Isle of Man. And their friendship actually developed because they both had a fascination with Blavatsky's witch cult. Um, Mm -hmm. But they had a lot of differences too, like towards the end after they opened up the museum, I guess that kind of goes into, you know, like business before friendship. (laughs) and. um, because Cecil Williamson, who was the other person I wanted to talk about, um, he founded the uh, uh, British Museum of Witchcraft, which uh, later came over at um, Gardner's Management. Um, they were both very, very into um, these artifacts and just um, how witchcraft kind of developed throughout um, the stages of Europe. But what Gardner was ultimately saying about how um, witchcraft kind of prevailed through the ages was not correct. And he was still placing the whole idea of um, not just witchcraft, but also like paganism or like pagan spirituality into that Judeo-Christian dogma, which is what a lot of people like mm-hmm. Cecil Williamson did not agree with. Yeah, um, uh, He he did really popularize um, a lot of the branches of of Wicca as well. Um, the other branches like the British traditional Wicca and uh, the Alexandrian branch of Wicca. Um, he kind of was tying a lot of those together and was really trying to uh, uh, propaganda from, from those traditions as well and really trying to tie them into his own. So that's where he and uh, Cecil Williamson really uh, Kind of fell out of touch. Um, Cecil Williamson, um, he he made it a point to kind of like delve into um, the the Cornish traditional ways and uh, the witchcraft of uh, Southwest England, like the West Country Witch- witches and Devonshire, and that's where he was basing a lot of his fact on. And when he and Gerald Gardner were uh, working together within the Isle of Man, that is where they had these all-out differences. And Cecil Williamson, he was just trying to kind of, you know, show a different point on this. But Gerald Gardner was just so set in his ways, was like, no, this is how it is, this is how it should be. And Cecil Williamson was just like, okay, fine. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Well, and and the thing that you know a lot of people forget also, and I, I apologize if you you were going to mention this, but um, you know Gerald Gardner had a lot of influence as a Rosicrucian and as yeah. um, a, as a as a Mason.
0: Yes. So, yeah. Free, uh, he, free, Freemasonry and um, yeah. a lot of his his teachings within um, his branch of Wicca, Gardenian Wicca, were based off of those teachings as well as yeah. well of a, a lot of the teachings of Aleister Crowley.
1: Exactly from the OTO
0: yeah and,
1: and i and i and that's of course you know one of the things that obviously pissed uh doreen valiente off
0: immensely right right exactly and fun fact about uh cecil williamson he actually started um uh the research foundation of witchcraft which doreen valiente eventually took over mm. i don't think that's the official name for it but it's Close enough for <laughs> <laughs> yeah. government work. Right, exactly. Um, Cecil Williamson, he was just like, you know, I'm just going to go on to, um, you know, p- produce, you know, the actual history of witchcraft, which uh, he actually wasn't officially an occultist. He was actually a cinematographer. C- Cecil <laughs> Williamson. Yeah. Yeah. I-, I thought that was interesting,
2: too. Yeah, but, that's super interesting Uh, i wonder what he
0: filmed i have a, I had a list but i left it downstairs so let's see he was director of soho conspiracy in 1950 hangman's wharf in 1950 action stations 1956 and he was the editor of up for the derby 1933 girls please 1934 i had to watch that one girls please he wanted to focus more on, on the study of, of witchcraft in its um, actuality, but he still wanted nothing to do with the neo-traditional movement that was ultimately started by Robert Cochran. Robert Cochran, um, he wanted to challenge the Gardenian Wicca movement by uh, creating what I refer to as the neo-traditional witchcraft movement, which is kind of based on the, the old ways of, of witchcraft, but he the way he presented it, it was still very, very faith-based. Mm. Like it, it still seemed like a religion. Um, Robert Cochran, he actually claimed to be a hereditary, uh, saying that like uh, he was taught the old ways by his parents and uh, grandparents and all of this, but after his death, um, they actually found out that his claims of heredity were actually bogus. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Well then. <laughs> right. <Wow. laughs> Yeah, that's what I thought too. I was like, how, how insulting. <laughs> but um, yeah, Doreen Valiente actually really uh, was interested in his movement and actually joined um, his coven, um, the clan of Tubal Cain. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was supposed to be based off of um, what a lot of traditional. Which is, or at least what I found, kind of believe in when it comes to uh, the the opposites of like the witch father and the witch mother. Like, whereas he was kind of presenting it, it's like they they worshipped the horned god and the and the goddess of fate, which he named to be Hikate. Mm. And um, he um, from from that neo traditional movement also came the fairy tradition. Spell F E R I. And then also a sabbatic witchcraft which is uh, um a tradition that is based completely off of the mythos of the classic witches' sabbath from european folklore
1: right
0: and um one thing that uh, what's funny was when he first came to london he actually he and his wife actually lived in a dorian valiente's apartment or flat oh. <laughs> um
1: it was like a little click
0: it was a little Right? It was a Wiccan clique, <laughs> even though like he claimed to not be, be Wiccan, which neither did Cecil Williamson. Cecil Williamson was like, you know, I am not Wiccan, I am not Pagan, Um, I do not see the craft as a religion. It is something that, you know, is sacred to everybody and it is a sacred practice that's going back to thousands of years. And it does not have to be religious per se. Right. And, right. and uh, Cecil Williamson kind of based his craft more on the classic cunning man, cunning folk. Where uh, they would still use um, some of them would still use those Christian prayers, as, or they would incorporate those into their spell work.
1: So I, I find it really interesting that you, that you bring up these people because I think it's uh, not to go on too much of a tangent, but I think it just goes to show. You know, we say all the time, witchcraft is not a religion. Witchcraft is not is not a religion. And having said that. I do know that many people do not subscribe to a religion who consider themselves a witch who still consider witchcraft a religion to them. Right. And, and, and I, I'm not saying that they are wrong, that, um, because that is, I see a number of people who have that view. And I heard, um, I, I bring her up a lot, Raven Ways, um, she she did an episode once where she talked about that where she is one who feels that witchcraft is a religion. You know, I think at, at that point, to be honest with you, I think it becomes more of a personal choice. Yeah, so I I think that um, you know the whole concept of the witch father and witch mother. Some people choose to view that as a um, as a road to to worship and as a, as a road to of um, it more of a being a, a religion and. Like like I said, you know, I, I disagree with that, but at the same time, I also see that as a personal choice. Some people mm. want to do that and choose to do that, and, and that's fine. I still um, wholeheartedly believe, though, that especially because, um, and again, I'm taking this from more a global perspective, global meaning as in the whole world, not as not global as in general. Um, Witchcraft, as I've said many times, has existed for centuries across the world in multiple countries, mm-hmm. and in many exactly. of those countries, it has nothing to
0: do with religion. Exactly, exactly. And like, like even the ways of the cunning folk too, from what I found out, is that a lot of them like they do tend to incorporate some faith-based practices into it, not all of them did. Yeah. Like definitely not all of them did, and yeah. uh, going going back to like the concept of like the witch mother and the witch father, like um, that's a concept that I personally iterate into my crap, but not in a religious sense at
1: all. Exactly. Yeah, and not, a lot I think not, a lot of people do, myself included. You know, I think that uh, again, like I said, I, I think um, I can see very easily how people translate that to to religious aspect.
0: Right, but, uh, right. But again, I, think, I, I
1: see that as a, both a mixture of a personal choice and also of previous dogmatic influences.
0: Right. And I think that can be iterated within the neo traditional movement how, like, they say it's not religious, but yeah, it definitely can kind of be religious in a lot of ways, like like uh, Cochrane's witchcraft or yeah. um, even the, the, the clan of Tubal Cain. Like, it, it still seemed very, very religious to me. Yeah. And, um, during Valiente, when she actually left um, uh, the Black Forest Coven, uh, she she was a Coven Hopper again, <laughs> and uh, she joined the the Clan of Tubal Cain, which she had a lot of differences with Robert Cochran as well. Um, the most one being um, the the Night of the Long Knives, which I'm still not entirely sure like what that is, but it was basically where Robert Cochrane Cochrane wanted to um uprise against Gardenian Wiccans because that is something that Doreen Valiente did not like was his hatred towards Gardenian Wiccans, his almost um prejudice, yeah, like extreme prejudice against the Gardenian Wiccans. And the the night of the Long Knives, um, I'm not sure what the hell he was planning. I'm not sure like if that was, you know, like something symbolic or he was actually planning on going out and like stabbing these people with long knives. That's <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I was just gonna say. Just running around like Of course that's where, that's where Mountain Gypsy goes. Ooh, stabby stabby. <laughs> <laughs> Can we do that? Like is that part of it? i um, I'm down for it.
0: <laughs> right. And then that's when uh D- Dorian Valiente like stood up and actually like challenged him and said, "If this is what your sick little soul desires, I won't be a part of it." And that's when she officially like like left his coven. When when uh okay. the f- right, <laughs> and uh, uh Robert Cochran, he actually committed suicide. Um was wow. was after yeah was after that. the it was after um his coven kind of started to uh disassemble.
1: Mm.
0: Um is is when like he kind of felt like a failure because he had a lot of. Personal, like mental health issues, um, he decided to kill himself. He killed himself with belladonna, oh wow, and lib and lib and lib, librium. Wow.
2: Well, damn,
1: that's a way to go.
0: Right. <laughs> um, you
1: see, um, this stuff more more so than ever. I'm so glad that we are doing this episode and that we are continuing to do this episode. You know, once a season because. We've said this many times to to know your history, to understand your history. You know, I think there's a a lot of misconception. You know that Gerald mm-hmm. Gardner, Wicca, and everybody's love and light and the end. And no, there was a lot of um, discord um, Dark a, and friction especially right. in the earlier periods as everybody yeah. was still trying to find themselves and, and find, you know, what really are we doing? Right, um,
0: exactly. Because like like in Guardianian Witchcraft, like they had the, he was the one who kind of created the whole Wiccan we- read and the Threefold Law. Con- well, I don't think he like, necessarily created it, but he definitely iterated it a lot.
1: Yeah, that was actually <laughs> Gerald Gardner mixed with Doreen Valiente. So mm-hmm. Gerald Gardner... Um, actually, uh, originally established that by quoting a f- a French fiction erotic writer.
0: That is true. And, yes. And, 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 and <laughs> quoting
1: and quoting um, his fictional character with with those wo- with some of those words. Yes. And with some yes. That's with the exactly. And then Doreen yeah. Valiente turn around and created turned it into poetry and made it you know um all, all of that stuff and
0: then robert cochran he kind of challenged it with um i think it was under Cochran witchcraft uh that is uh, just an inappropriate name <laughs> i know Co- Co- mm-hmm. Co- 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 cochran's craft yes <laughs> so like um Uh, like the ethics and morality, like um, when he tried to challenge the Wiccan Read and the Threefold Law, he tried to iterate it as do not what you desire, do what is necessary, take all you are given, give all of yourself. What I have, I hold, when all else is lost and not until then, prepare to die with dignity, which I guess is kind of what people are trying to translate it into is do no harm, but take no shit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is, you know, and again, we can go off on a full tangent on that concept, but um, but yeah, um, I, I think the hardest part that for me, the hardest part for me is that um, I, I'm not saying that fictional writing can't have um, serious, important messages. We see that all, all across, you know, the ages. Of course I do that can. as a hobby.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> but, but, but like. I mean, of, of, of course, fictional writing can inspire, but to see that um, a, a fictional quote has taken on this life of its own, here we are in right. 2022,
0: that, yeah, exactly. you know, that these people defend
1: it to death and will
0: kill I know. you over... I actually have to really like, 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 I don't really do it as a hobby. What, like, my hobby is actually based on watching like a lot of fictional stuff that in, that involves witches and then like dissecting it to try to pull out like some of the fact amongst the fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, um, like, well, like a good the- example is like Hocus Pocus and the Sanderson sisters. I don't know if they did this on purpose or if they actually like meant to do this, but it's like they actually represent the, the, uh, the actual concept of the maiden, mother, and the crone, which is what Wiccans get wrong all the time. <laughs> like, it's well, not synonym, synonymous to Hecate or like the phages of a witch's life, nor is it synonymous to um, Persephone, Demeter, and Hecate. It's actually synonymous to the fates. Yeah. Um, but, and,
1: but then. But, but having said that, and in it's interesting you say that, because having said all that, Even though it's a very loose interpretation, Mm. it's also credited to Wicca, and not all belief systems care about maiden mother-crone anything.
0: Exactly, exactly, exactly. But but yeah, like it's it's just just interesting how like they were able to like iterate the true definition of that within the Sanderson sisters, but then also at the same time identify the three archetypes of the most common type of person who was who was accused of witchcraft during the the witches area within the three of them. So it's like a double edged thing. And it's like I I wonder if they actually meant to do that or if it's just a coincidence. But it's like it's kind of cool how like you were able to kind of find that like those. I'm gonna venture to guess it was a
1: coincidence. Probably. <laughs> because if you think about it, you know, the concepts, all of those concepts that you just mentioned, you know, that, that's present in literature, uh, occult related or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and for obvious reasons, you know, because obviously we know that, you know, things, things that are, are, are part of writings, um, especially those that go back very far there's always some element of truth or at least, you know, reflections of things that were going on at the time. So so it's not right. surprising, but at the same time, because it is so prominent in, in earlier writings, to me, you know, I, I think it was more of just an, an, an accident, a happy accident that they were just emulating, you know, um, prom- prominent viewpoints. Right. Yep, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think it' more important than not. And, and if you notice, you know, it, it, this is very interesting because half the people that were discussed on this episode were Wiccan or Wiccan related, and none of mm. us are, are Wiccan.
0: Right, Ex- exactly. It,
1: it goes to show, you know, it, it's important to know the history as, of everything as much as you can. You know, in, information, knowledge is truly power. It to, really to, is understand you know the history and who we are and I'll tell you um, what is very disappointing to me and it's nobody's fault here um, and and it's just the reality is that you know the history that I'm truly interested in I can't really find it it's just not there and I don't I'm not surprised because I'm talking about you know, folk magic, a lot of that just wasn't written down, still isn't written down to this day. No, and still it's still passed, passed on down. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so, you know, in many ways, I, I still feel like, even though I'm really glad that we do these episodes, I still feel like we do a disservice. It just, unfortunately, is out of our controls, you know, I, and I'll tell you, every time we prepare to do these episodes, and this is now our third one, I spend days looking for something hoping that that I'll find something this time and I can't
0: I just right. can't. Yes, exactly. Exactly.
1: I mean I've found a few things you know like Empress Wu I was able to you know I you find you find a few things here and there but uh but not not to the extent that you do on uh, on on European witchcraft. Which is right. why I believe that most people think that that is what the history of witchcraft is. And so I can't blame people. You know, I just I just hope people realize that that is not representative of the whole
0: world. Right. Oh. Exactly. You know what I
2: actually thought about like how you said the folk magic stuff? The things that you can't find are from cultures that were not invaded completely by the Christians. Mm-hmm. And do accept it and use it and have lived with it as part of their spiritual aspects and faith. So yeah. those kind of practices you're not going to find because, like you said, they're verbally passed down and physically mm-hmm. shown passed down.
1: So And, and that's the that so written Even the stuff that I find, you know, about the Philippines, a lot of that is, and, and openly stated in the literature, tainted by Christianity. Mm-hmm. Because of when they were conquered by the Spanish and brought Christianity over, and, you know, like many practices that we see from, from hoodoo to even voodoo, um, and, and much of the folk uh, magic practices around the world, you see the, 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 the tainting of Christian practices in there, right. because, you know, that's just what their, the culture was exposed to, and it became part of it. Yeah, with the writings
2: we do find on, you know, like you said, European and all the other ones, it's because they were documented by the Christian people who came, cleared it out, and wrote about what they observed. Yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. Like like a lot of practices that I've been getting into, the, the Vietnamese witchcraft, I'm actually very surprised that Anthony's ancestors talked to me. (laughs) <laughs> which uh, um, is uh, all kind of based around like this one working I'm I'm preparing t- to do, which I really want to divulge details, but it- I will after it's cast.
1: <laughs> so I will um, tell you that I am not surprised because I think that's part of our human flaw. Is that flaw? as much as yes flaw uh, of what I'm about to say, A- and I'm not saying that to like diss anybody. Yes, that's a '90s word. Okay, I get it. Um, yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, it's uh, to me. I just think it's a matter of fact, which is um, even though the three of us, and if Hestia was here, she'd say the same thing. That if we um, purposefully think about it and talk about it, we'll be the first ones to say. You know ancestry is just part of this life that's you know that's you know spiritually we've been all kinds of different you know um, right. ethnicities blah 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 right. and even though we know that inside it's still kind of hard on a daily basis you know to to live right. it and
0: express it right but like with with me it's like i was kind of raised on the principle that like witches are an international family you know like it's not you know, it doesn't really have to be like marriage or like life connection that connects us. It's magic that connects us.
1: Well, but and again, I, like, I personally, I personally feel, and and I don't know, you may be saying something different than what I'm thinking you're saying, but I personally feel that's still restrictive to what's going on in this lifetime. Like, I, I, I feel like, um, you know, what we, um, who we are, transcends. Uh, lifetime to lifetime. And I think that ancestors and other beings who have ascended past this life recognize that. And so yes. when, somebody, when somebody reaches out to them, even though they might not be part of that ancestral line for this current life, like that means nothing to them.
0: That's exactly what I'm saying. Yes.
1: Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. That is exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. 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 Love it. <laughs>
1: But I, 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 yeah, and and um, does that, you know, and I know that that statement opens up a can of worms, you know, mm. because I know that there's a, a lot of closed practices and closed religions, and I think that those still should be respected, mm. you know. Yeah, So that, like very, that is not a carte blanche, you know, free it, ticket to now right. go invade everybody's privacy.
0: Exactly, because, like, even though, like, a lot of closed practices don't really um, put stock into, like, her, into, you know, culture or like being born into that culture. There are some that do like even in like some European traditions, like there's this one yes. uh, Welsh wishing practice where they will literally only initiate those who are at least 75% Welsh. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. they will not allow any less than 75% Welsh to join that practice or be initiated into that practice. Oh, so There's like many that, cultures so that
1: that even, you know, break, break it down to, you know, blood relation.
0: If yeah, part of the yeah, family, true. You're not coming in. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like <look at> my
1: I <laughs> don't care how much you look like us. You're still not my family. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, so I, I, totally get that. And, and you know, and I understand. Like I said, you know, that that brings up a can of worms because even though that's not a um, an an open carte blanche now to go forth and and invade all of the all of the closed practices, you know, to just for me. Personally, this is my personal belief, and it's, and I'm sure people are going to disagree, and that's okay to disagree. But hear me out. I feel like um, the the concept of closed practices and the re- respecting of closed practices that's still a human concept and a human need. Yeah. I do feel though that it is worth respecting. Mm-hmm. I I recognize and identify it as a human constraint. Nonetheless, it is where we are today and who we are, and therefore we should be respectful of that because us two are currently within that human realm.
0: Right. Having said
1: that having said that, you know, if someone feels that somebody outside of that ancestry is calling to you and you really do have that connection, you know, that's a personal experience. And I and for me, you know, that's where it should stay, a personal experience. Mm. Um, I don't think that gives somebody the right to say, well, I know it's closed, but they reach out to me, so I'm doing this. It's like, you don't have to be in your face about it. It's a personal experience, so keep it personal.
0: Exactly. So you're- yes.
1: But yes. There's no reason to prove your point.
0: Right. Right, that, exactly. That, that's
1: just my uh, my personal opinion.
0: I agree. <laughs> Like, I agree with what you're saying, but yeah. I I, well, I this, this is my personal opinion. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
1: you, I mean you, you, you can see, you can see, you know, that what we're talking about right now, you know, is probably um, controversial and, and some people will, will still choose to agree and that's totally cool. Right. Um,
0: and right. That's why, that's and like, just, and, yeah. and even like, like with what we're saying, it's like, if you want to follow the, the traditions of Gerald Gardner, what was that?
1: somebody's phone my
0: clock oh <laughs> the
2: clock does not work <laughs> yes it's my nightmare for christmas clock so okay well
0: <laughs> i was like what, okay. what was that <laughs> but yeah so it's like even if you want to follow the traditions of gardner or um valiente or Cochrane, like that's your own perspective but just kind of recognize that 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 you know those are not universal perspectives, and yes. they are not synonymous to all witching practices.
1: Nor are they necessarily reflective of all historic practices either. Exactly, yes. And that's not saying a bad thing or a good thing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of times, you know, people automatically get offended, consider it gatekeeping, gatekeeping, or whatever you want to call it. But... um at least for me, I can only speak for me, when I push back on somebody who makes, you know, statements that are so like definitive about must this or definitely that, or only this, only that, you know, my, my, my thing is that that's, that's your truth. That doesn't mean that that's other people's truth. That doesn't mm-hmm. make your truth any less valid or any more valid, it's just your truth.
0: Right, exactly. So leave, leave it so, at that. And something I wanted to bring up too is um, if you look into those like old school Wiccan practices, British traditional Wicca, Gardenian, Alexandrian, those are technically close practices too as they require initiation. Ooh. But yet, but yet it's like anybody who just reads, you know, a blog on Wicca can suddenly declare themselves a Wiccan. So it's like, I don't understand, like, why is it only a close practice if it's ethnic, where it's like, if it's Anglo-Saxon, it's open to everybody.
1: Well, I, I, and part of that, and, you know, and again, that's another can of worms you're bringing up because I think part mm. of that is it, it's, um, there's two different, I have two different responses to that, which is one, um, I think that's a fad folk thing mm. because yeah. again, <laughs> going back to uh, study and research and knowing your history, if you're going to be part and participate in anything, anything. OK, um, then truly understand it. Right. Yes. Um, this is it's not <laughs> like it's not like just deciding to, you know what, I want to learn how to play basketball. It's, you know, it. it have more respect for it than that. Yes. Um, but <laughs> I think for those that are truly um, interested in the Wiccan practices and when they start doing their research, they will recognize that there are many, not all, but many Wiccan traditions that are closed practices, and you will not see those people trying to claim it. It's the that people. That is true. The, it's the people that are are looking at it superficially and taking it as a fad, and claiming I, I'm looking.
0: Yeah, that is yeah. true. That is very true.
1: And, and that, but that's, that's the true. sad thing about it. That's the sad thing about it, though, is that, and so, so I don't think, I don't think it's a, it's a necessarily a matter of. You know, like looking at the, the ethnicity of it. I think it's honestly, it's even more basic than that, which is, you know, looking at. It, it's more of a trend. Yeah. Which is yeah. to me, I to me personally, I know people will disagree with this statement, but to me, that's much more insulting. That's much that more, more of
2: an aesthetic.
0: That is much aesthetics. more. That is that is much more insulting. I I agree. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's like to everybody to them these days. It's a social status and an aesthetic
1: look and yeah,
0: and a, Yep, exactly a trend and a a, a trend you know, a hobby.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. And and I've brought this up before. I know I have, um, but I have to bring it up again. You know, this happened with Christianity itself. What was it like five, seven years ago? where um they did a it, it was a really famous thing where they they did like this um this fashion show it was like an international fashion show down the runway using uh oh the met gala the, using catholic um symbolism and catholic catholic robes and garbs and stuff and Ooh. everybody and yeah, was everybody the gala. was freaking out because oh. it's like you are disrespecting and and you know, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of Catholicism, but at the same time, you know, I know my boundaries. I, I know my, my limits and how can I ask them to be respectful if I'm if I'm going to do the same thing and disrespect them? You know, right. I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't sit there and and, you know, wear a rosary, even though that's what I used to do when I was a little goth because I thought that that was cool. Um, yeah, me too. I still me have
0: too. My... me, yeah. me three.
1: <laughs> yeah, but, but, you know. Yeah, it was the Met Gala. I remember that everybody yeah. looked like the Pope and a nun and a priest. Yeah, and to me, to me, it's it's that same thing. You know, it's like I don't know. It, it's just basic human respect. You know, you don't right. have to agree with it. There's not, nobody's saying you have to agree with stuff, but you know, have some respect. But I don't think that that's something. People these days don't have generally are willing to do and hate, send me hate mail and and hate me. But um, honestly, I don't think that's something one is willing to do until you get older, until you get past your piss and vinegar years. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Because, and I'm speaking just from my own experience because I knew I was raised in a Catholic household. I knew that donning that rosary was blasphemy. The only and, thing and I, and I did the it with a and I did it with a smile on my face, knowing that I was insulting people, and I didn't care. I wouldn't do it now, not because I have any beliefs in that system, big, but because I now have respect.
0: Right,
2: right. It comes with
1: age.
0: Yes, it comes with age and experience. And
1: <laughs> yeah, they're they're a bigger fish to fry.
0: Right, exactly. We have better things to do.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and and everybody, as we keep saying, is entitled to their own opinions and entitled to their own beliefs. Right. I'm not ever going to say that I agree with it. I am never going to um, defend it, but I will respect it.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly.
1: I'm just another person. I'm not the Pope of paganism to quote omnia <laughs> <laughs> well that silence tells me we are done <laughs> yeah i think so. i think we we've, we have hit all I, the points
0: like even though i kind of mashed my three people together it's like i couldn't help help but do so but because like, perfect they perfect
2: because they were all well, related i guess we're all done we we've entertained you and educated you today so don't forget like hestia says do the buttons hit all the buttons on all the social things and I guess we'll see you guys next time.
0: Yep, and I hope you took notes because there will be a test. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I dare you to post a test. Right.
1: <laughs> All right, thank you everybody.
0: Bye.